Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. I am going to be reading the scripture today, and it is from John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, from verse 1 to verse 8. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Thank you, Lydia. So my mom um, tells this story of one of her first Mother's Day, maybe it was her first, in church service just like ours. And she's forever ruined my memory of Mother's Day because of it. Well, not ruined, but um, imprinted on me. The story she tells is uh, I was her firstborn, one of six. And she was sitting in church service. And at that moment, uh, I decided I would fill my diaper. And hold on a second. My diaper could not contain all that would be released. And she said it went down her leg into her boot. That was her, what I consider her baptism into motherhood. So <laughs> I am so grateful for her, and uh, I know many of us are grateful for our mothers as well. We also recognize this is a, a time where we remember those that are not here, um, so it can be difficult. We think of those that desire to be a mom, but God has not yet blessed them with children, and so it can be difficult as well. And so we, we understand the full spectrum of any kind of holiday gathering like this and the emotions it, it presents. But... Um, in the midst of all this, um, it's fun to hear baby noises too, right? So it's part of, the, part of the beauty of it. If you have your Bibles this morning, open up to John chapter 15. Uh, we're going to pick up where Lydia just read. Uh, John is the fourth gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, John is different in um, the, the writing style um, and even the approach to telling the story of Jesus than many of the other, the other three gospels. There's a lot of poetry, there's a lot of imagery, there's a lot of symbolism. John captures much of Jesus' teachings uh, along those lines. John chapter 15. So we we have in our backyard a lot of nature, um, which for a a number of members of my family this time of year is really difficult because we all have allergies. Uh, Everything is blooming. And our, our house is actually vacant for over two years before we moved in because it had been foreclosed on. And when we inherited this this uh, yard. We didn't know what it all had because it was so overgrown. 
And so six years later, we have tamed the backyard. But it has about 50 trees, probably, of varying sizes, uh, a bunch of bushes. At some point, we had uh, somebody that owned the house, definitely loved to garden and landscape, and so we've unearthed beautiful things uh, over the years. But as the, the trees grow, I look at them and I go, if I don't cut that tree now, I'm going to have to pay sometime down the road to have it cut. It's eventually going to be too close to the house or too overgrown. So I'm constantly, constantly cutting things. And sometimes I consult my wife, sometimes I don't. Uh, just a, a few weeks ago, I was looking at one tree that I think is supposed to be a bush originally, like an evergreen, but it looks like a tree. And it's growing really, really tall, and I don't want it to get any taller. So I thought, you know, I'll, I'll cut this tree. I'll top it off and try and make it more bush-like. And so uh, I worked at it with a big pole saw, and, uh, and I was able to do it, but it didn't quite fall how I wanted. And so the beautiful side facing our house it took a, a little bit of damage as the top of this tree fell off. And my wife uh, immediately gave me some feedback that wasn't positive on that. And I acknowledged I had made a mistake. And, and as I went up to the, to the front side of this, I, I saw one branch that was kind of covering what was going to be a hole now in this bush. And it wasn't quite snapped off. I thought, ooh, I think I can, maybe I can wire this thing. Is she in here? No, she's back with the kids. I didn't tell her this. So before she could see it, I, I took some wire and, and wired the, the branch back onto where it kind of split. So time will tell. Whether, the, whether this thing can kind of regrow back in or not. But I was thinking of this because of the, the, the passage that Lydia just read. Jesus gives this, this illustration, this metaphor of a vine and branches to illustrate the importance of remaining in him. Or as some translations may say, abiding in him. Staying connected with Jesus. All of us need a, a, a relational connection. All of us need to belong and to be. That's what Mother's Day reminds us of, is that we came from somewhere. We came from someone. And as humanity, we also know this to be true. We came from someone. God himself spoke us into existence, spoke humanity into existence. And so Jesus gives this illustration that in an agrarian culture, like a farming culture, they would have they understood. But even in my urban, suburban culture, understand. If a branch is broken from its source, it's not going to live. But if it stays connected, it will live. If we have a relationship with Jesus, then we have life. And that life in Jesus produces good things. But if we don't, we wither and fade. It's amazing how many people in our culture are withering and fading, and they are totally unaware of the disconnect that they have between God and themselves. And so in this illustration, Jesus is teaching us something. He's teaching us something about his design, about his, his direction, and about our destiny if we abide in him. And Jesus continues to unpack this. If you have your Bibles open, verse 9 so based on this illustration, based on this metaphor, Jesus says in verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now here's the word he uses again. Now remain in my love. Stay connected. If you keep my commands, 
you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, why? So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Think about the people you know who have no joy, who are lost and distracted and wondering about their identity, about their purpose, about their future. Jesus wants us to be connected to him so that we may experience his joy and that that joy will come to completion. So what joy is this? Well, it's the joy of relationship. The joy of being with the one we love. Many of you this afternoon are going to celebrate an aspect, a reflection of that joy as you hopefully treat your, your mom out or your wife out. We were made for relationship. And that's what I want to talk to you this morning about as it relates to God's direction or God's design, God's direction, and the destiny he has for each of us. So we were made for relationship. Now, we could stop there, but Jesus doesn't. He doesn't just stop with relationship with him, but he goes on. What's the greatest commandment, Jesus was asked earlier? is to love God and love people. So Jesus continues on in verse 12. He says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Do you see what Jesus does here? He weaves this theme of loving friendship between himself and us and us with each other. So I think that theologically, it's pretty safe to say that we aren't truly loving God unless we're loving each other. And so we say this as a church. This is like our, our kind of motto or mission statement, to, to love God, to love people, and to love our city, an extension of outward love. Now, there's actually two words for love being used in this passage. One of which we see very clearly, love. This is the, the Greek word behind this English translation is agape. It's this love toward. It's, it's a compassionate love. It's a love with feet. But there's, a, there's another love that is lost in translation in this passage. So, so just to, to make it uh, state the, the obvious for some of you, but some of you may not know, but the Bible is not written in English. It was actually written in Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek. So when we're reading this, we're reading a translation from the Greek. So the, the Greek word for love in verse 12 is agape, but the Greek word for friend is phileo, phileo, which is also a type of love, a brotherly love, a dearly cherished love, or philos in the Greek. This is why the, the city of Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. It's a combination of two Greek words, philos or phileo, and Adelphi, which is brotherly. 
It's also why it's okay to say, I love a Philly cheesesteak sandwich <laughs> so much. <laughs> so, so did you know that? That there's, a, there's two loves in here. Both of these are, in the Greek, would have been readily understood. There is a agape, a, a love with direction. And then there is a phileo or philos. That's a, it's a brotherly love. It's a dearly loved. Now Jesus calls us friends. And so what is he calling us? He's calling us beloved. He loves us. It's interesting, if you think about what we think of friendship in our current culture, uh, I think social media, about 20 years ago, really started to change the, the definition, the understanding of friendship, and, and kind of watering it down. 20 years ago, this dates me, but I don't care, uh, there was this, one of the first social media networks called MySpace. And MySpace, when it first came out, the, the, the goal was, hey, you need to connect with your friends. And then MySpace would do this thing where it would say, pick your top, does anybody remember this? Your top eight. And so you would pick your top eight friends. And so if somebody visited your profile, of all the people you connected with, on MySpace at least, they would see who your favorites were. It was pretty high school, let's be honest. Middle school. And then it was funny because you'd see people rotate out. Uh-oh, something happened. <laughs> but it started to, to commodify the idea of friendship. And it made it like a really public kind of thing. Well, then MySpace, like anything, kind of fades out. And then Facebook takes its place. And what does Facebook call your connections? It calls them friends. You get friend requested, right? And pretty soon it became a game. Like, how many friends can I have? I have a thousand friends. Really? <laughs> Are they really your friends? These people you kind of know. And so social media started to kind of dilute this image of friendship and even relationship to a certain extent. Now, we can't just blame social media companies for the watering down of friendship, can we? After all, social media companies are just a big pyramid scheme. Just try and get as many people as you know on there so that they can make more money. But it's not their, just their fault. These things reflect culture. And they reflect the disconnect and the isolation of our culture. The, they became a fake reality for us where we thought the more people we're connected with, the better we'll feel. The more people we say we have friends with, the the more complete we'll be, the more connected we'll be. But the truth is quite the opposite. And so many of us, we have a hard time loving Jesus as Jesus called us to love because we've lost our understanding of what real relationships are. And because many of us are not actually with each other. I was thinking about this, some cult, other cultural movements. Maybe you've noticed some of these. We live in a development, housing development that was made in the 1960s. And so our lots are, uh, on our houses are almost half acre on all of our lots. So we can see our neighbors, but we, we can't like smack the side of their house, right? So we have big, most of my, people in my neighborhood have pretty, pretty big front yards and backyards, but actually not very big houses. The houses are smaller, the yards are bigger. Just down the hill from, from where we live, the houses were built in the late 80s. The houses are bigger, the yards are smaller. 
Just across the street, houses are made in the last 20 years. The houses are even bigger. The yards are about the size of the stage. What does that say about our culture? We're actually closer in proximity because some of those houses, you know, maybe you live in one. You can slap the house of your neighbor out your kitchen window, but you never talk to your neighbor because nobody ever goes outside because there's no yard to go into. It's a patio. What does this say, these cultural movements? Here's another one we're seeing taking over, especially through COVID, the idea of self-checking, right? I I talked about this a, a, a few weeks ago. You go now to the store, you buy your groceries, you don't actually have to interact with anybody to buy your groceries. You can just go through the self-check lane and check them yourself. Amazon took that to another level with their Amazon Go. There's not even anybody in there. You just grab your groceries and walk out. The app will detect, detect it, right? And then, of course, we have things like work from home. Again, absolutely necessary during the season of COVID, but so many now just work from home. They don't see their coworkers in the same in actual physical space. So we've got watered down idea of friendships. We've got increasing disconnect with actual people, even those in our neighborhoods, even those at the, at the store. What does this result in? Well, the Surgeon General just put out a report just a couple weeks ago. The Department of Health and Human Services, the Surgeon General, and the The report was titled, The Epidemic of, guess what? Epidemic of Isolation and Loneliness. 82-page report on the epidemic of isolation and loneliness. Listen to what he says here. In talking about the disconnect and the isolation in our current culture, he says, the mortality impact of being socially disconnected is similar to that caused by smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day, and even greater than that associated with obesity and physical inactivity. And the harmful consequences of a society that lacks social connection can be felt in our schools, our workplaces, and civic organizations where performance, productivity, and engagement are diminished. This is the opening statement of this thing, saying we have never been more isolated and disconnected probably in the history of the world than we are today. A few stats that I read. Of uh, of all the people surveyed and and of all the research done, 39% of Americans feel connected with others. Only 39%. 50% of U.S. adults experience loneliness. And you know where the highest percentage of those people come from? Young people. The most connected, digitally connected generation in the world is the most lonely. The Surgeon General's report said, the health risks of being lonely and isolated are greater than anything else in the United States. Greater than obesity, greater than heart risk, greater than a pandemic. The health risks of being isolated are greater than any other issue in the United States. That's why this was written. This is not just a like, oh, this will be interesting to see. This is an epidemic. And here's the the other part, though. Only 
20% of Americans identify this as the issue. So it's the greatest health risk in the United States, but only 20% say, oh, it must be because I'm disconnected. So I don't know about you, but I'm always, I've always been terrible at diagnosing my own issues. <laughs> That's why we go to, I go to a doctor. He goes, oh, yeah, here's your issue, Andrew. If over 50% of Americans, 39% or only 39% feel connected, 50% experience loneliness, but only 20% can say this is the issue, then we have an emergency on our hands. You know, at times, it can feel like we might be moving into a world of science fiction, but people are waking up and starting to take notice that we were made for relationship. I love this story I read out of Denmark. With all the self-checker check lanes, you can just not interact with anybody. Denmark decided they would do this thing in one of their big grocery chains. They, they started a new lane for when you're, you're checking out your groceries. It's called slow check. It actually, first of all, has a checker. Second of all, that checker has been trained to interact with people. <laughs> Revolutionary. And all of you who grew up in the 50s and 60s are like, we knew them by name. They were, part, they were our family, right? And what they're finding as they've, they've, they put in this slow check lane is that it's the most popular lane to go through. People understandably know it's going to take a little bit longer, but I'll get to talk with somebody. They're going to ask how my day went. What a great and novel idea. So here's the scientific and spiritual truth. Scientific and spiritual. We were designed by God, not just for relationship with him, but for friendship. Friendship with each other. To be loved and to love. So if we go back to this paradigm... God has a design. God has a direction. God has a destiny. We are designed for relationship. Right from the beginning, it was clear. This ancient book speaks of it very clearly. Our directions that God has called us to to live in these relationships is is one of intimacy. Now, intimacy is a euphemism for uh, relationship between a husband and wife at times. But the idea of intimacy really is to be known and fully known. I can't help but think the more that I meet with people and sit with them and and have coffee with them, that a majority of what we're looking for in therapy is actually designed to be found in friendship. To be known and to be fully known. To have somebody that listens and cares. And God's direction is that both with him and with each other. And so if we believe in God's design, we follow his direction, then the destiny for us is that we have healthy bodies and spirits. Healthy bodies, or as we're going to be talking about on Saturday, and souls. So let's end just with a few practical thoughts. What does friendship look like, according to Jesus? Well, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. And so friendship always looks like agape in action. Agape toward the beloved. 
love in action. Love has feet. It's not motivated simply by feelings. Because this kind of love that Jesus demonstrates sees people the way that God sees people. That's why Jesus said this kind of love is even supposed to be directed toward your enemies. So it is possible to love somebody and not necessarily like them. We love them because we see who they were created by and why they were created, that they were created to be loved. So greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friend. And here's the thing. Jesus doesn't just say something and then expect us to do it without an example. Jesus would do this very thing. He had 12 disciples that he called friends that were walking with him and many others. One of them would eventually have him betrayed. Jesus still laid down his life for that man. Jesus loves in this way. And it challenges us to live in the same way. So that's what, that's the, the high bar for friendship. It's a lot harder than social media, isn't it? Love and action. So Jesus then, he says to us, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. How many of you, like me, when you hear the word command, you bristle a little bit? Command? Couldn't you say Suggest? Can you say highly recommended? You're commanding me to do it? Immediately our uh, American independence kind of rears its head. Here's the thing we need to understand. Anytime that you see passages about obedience or about following the commands of Jesus, we have to understand that obedience is not what makes believers Jesus' friend. But it's what demonstrates that we are. The order's important. Let me give you an illustration here. If you, if you ask someone you trust, you know for directions, they won't say to you, okay, to get where you're going, you need to, to head down the street. And if you feel like it, take a left. Then whenever you're ready, go ahead and, and go straight for half a mile. And you know, at that point, you, you, you do you. Take a left or a right, whatever you're in the mood for, and you'll most likely get where you want to be. Like, your friend wouldn't say that to you, would they? they say, take a left, go straight, take a right, it'll be on the left-hand side. And you won't go, hey, how are you, what are you doing commanding me to do that? No, you want to know the directions of what to do. And you trust this person, and you love this person, so when they say, this is what you should do, you go, okay, I'm going to do that. And so when Jesus gives us a command, we follow it because he loves us like a friend. And his wisdom is above all else. And his goodness is to be trusted. So when Jesus says, here's my command, I say, absolutely, you know what's up. I will do it. We give him our obedience. He doesn't take it from us. He doesn't coerce us into it. You know, a king simply tells his servants what to do. You do this, you do this. But a king takes his friends into confidence, informing them of his motives, his plans, and his purposes. And that's what Jesus is trying to convey here. So when we listen to Jesus' commands, we are embodying what we say we believe. When we follow Jesus, when we obey what he said to do, we're simply demonstrating, yep, I believe you. 
and I'll do what you say. That's what obedience is. It's belief embodied. It's not obligatory. So what is his command? Well, again, going back to it. Love each other as I have loved you. We could just rubber stamp it, walk out and say, sure enough, got it. But boy, isn't this hard to do? Love each other as I have loved you. If you haven't read the story of Jesus, let me encourage you to do that. Let me, let me encourage you to take this line with you as you do. How did Jesus love? That's our template. And I have still got a long ways to go to learn how to do it. But Jesus loves us in this way. He shows us the way. Can't help but think of those of us that grew up with amazing mothers. What they imparted to us. How they demonstrated love to us. So here's the thing. In our current culture, if something doesn't change, we're in trouble. The Surgeon General, I almost uh, prophetically, it almost read like a prophecy. At one part of this report says this about our current culture. This is a warning. He says, if things continue how they are with loneliness and isolation, we will continue to splinter and divide until we can no longer stand as a community or a country. Instead of coming together to take on the great challenges before us, we will further retreat to our corners, angry, sick, and alone. What a warning. And don't we already see so much of this to be true? Angry, sick, and alone. If something doesn't change. Now, in the report, he lays out six areas of society that need to change. And I think they're all good and true. But they're all impossible without somebody to follow. And that's what Jesus demonstrated for us. Jesus is the answer that we so desperately need. And he says... I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Listen to this. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. This is the answer. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, wrote these words that like a knife slice into the current cancer of our culture. And they diagnose the issue and they give us hope. And what does Jesus say? He says, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. What is he calling us to be? He's calling us to be the tangible Demonstration of his love in a divided, sick, and broken nation. The cure our broken nation needs is known by the people in this room right now. And it's contained in the relationship that we have with Jesus and with each other. And so let me just say this to you. Maybe you don't know this morning. I have the worship team come up now. 
Maybe this morning you don't know that the real sickness in your life, the real issue in your life, is that you are disconnected. Only 20% can, could diagnose themselves, oh, the issues in my life have to do with loneliness and isolation. But you know something is wrong. You know that, that 10 hours of scrolling on the internet somehow doesn't work. You know that that, that substance that you continue to turn to still leaves you feeling empty the next day. That relationship that you're pursuing still is, is not meeting your deepest longings. The answer that you need is Jesus. The cure that our broken nation needs is Jesus. And so this morning, for all of us, it's important that we renew our commitment to believe in Jesus that we learn how to receive his love and that the fruit that Jesus has appointed to us to, to bear is to tell others about Jesus and to live it out. We've been, my wife and I have been watching this show about a, a pandemic <laughs> called The Last Ship. It was actually started in 2014. And in this show, they come up, they find the cure. And on the ship, their whole goal is to get the cure, to, to, to manufacture it as much as they can to give it to people to save their lives. This morning, as we have gathered together in worship, you and I have the cure to the epidemic of our country. And his name is Jesus. So let's love like he's called us to love. And if you haven't received his love, you haven't received his relationship. Today is the day. And I have uh, some of our leaders are going to come up right now, and they're going to be available to pray with you. And as we sing this last song, if you would like prayer, just come on forward and just tell them that you, that you want prayer. Would you stand with me as we pray together? Lord, thank you for reminding us of your design this morning through your word, John 15. You've designed us to be with you and in you. That you've designed us to be with each other as well. And that your love, your agape, is aimed in our direction. And it changes us. It moves us from slave to son. From outcast to daughter. Thank you for the cure. The cure that is found in you, Jesus. You laid down your life for us. And Lord, as we conclude our worship time this morning, would we be ambassadors of the cure? <laughs> would you teach us how to love each other well so that the world would notice? Would you teach us how to love our enemies, even those that we don't like, so they might receive your love and be changed by it? Thank you, Jesus, for your truth. So desperately needed to be heard in this generation. May it echo out from here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.